The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. So we are super excited to be introducing some fresh new formats to the mix here on the Spark Podcast. Our new hot take segments, which we just launched a few weeks ago, they tackle hot topics in conversation with expert guides from the Spark Brain Trust. And today we are sharing the second Spark hot take, this time with Jenny Blake. So we talk about something that Jenny and I often muse about off mic, uncertainty reinventing work and life and putting yourself in the path of pivot, as Jenny says. We're taking a fresh approach to pivots, especially in this time of across-the-board uncertainty. And we discuss ways of courageously embracing change and using experiments to collect data about what you might be called to do next. How do you follow the full body yes? What is project-based purpose? We question why some of us prefer building things over maintaining them and how to embrace your preferences. And deepening into this conversation on pivoting and uncertainty, Jenny Blake is a podcaster, career and business strategist, and award-winning author of three books, Life After College, The Groundbreaking Pivot for Navigating What's Next, and her recently published Free Time for Optimizing What's Now. Enjoy this sparked hot take on change and experimentation in a time when most of us have been navigating both. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Medtronic. Medtronic is dedicated to the pursuit of life-transforming healthcare technology. From artificial intelligence to robotics and beyond, health tech is reinventing what's possible. Every year, Medtronic improves the lives of 74 million people, and we're just getting started. Visit Medtronic.com to learn more. Jenny Blake, you and I talk about, it's funny, like we, these are called spark to hot takes. And I feel like that's sort of like you and I on a regular basis are constantly going deep into like these big issues and moments and points of inflection that we're seeing in the world, in the world of work and the marketplace in our personal lives and our professional lives. And, and certainly like we've shared that, you know, with uh, some of the listener questions in this hot take episode, we have a couple of the moment issues that are also kind of the evolution of just what's been going on. And I'm going to turn it over to you to sort of kick us off topic-wise, and then let's just see where we go from there. Sounds great. Well, always, it's a joy to be here with you. And that's one of the things I value most about our friendship is not having any answers, just connecting around the questions. That's something that these last few years, I feel like we've all gotten a black belt in pivoting. We all got pivoted. And and now what I'm seeing is people kind of peeking their head around the corner, even more organizations reaching out, people having events in person again. And I'm still noticing a sense of things being in progress, in process, and that we none of us know what's around the corner. And that's kind of what the last few years brought for us. Even when my book pivot was coming out in 2016, one of the big mistakes that a lot of people would make was thinking they needed to have their pivot solved before they would take the next steps. And here, whether it's talking about the great resignation, the great reclamation of your career, your priorities, quiet quitting, there are all these buzzy topics flying around. And I think the one thing that we're not saying is that it's okay. 
if you don't have your pivot planned out, if you don't know where it's going to take you, that actually you can't. The very nature of pivoting is that you have no clue how things are going to shake out. None of us do. Someone asked me the other day, like where I saw the state of the economy going. I go, I don't know. Who can know? So how on earth can we know exactly what to do next in our career or our business if the rest of the world is still in this almost suspended state of anything can happen at any time? So I guess I'll kick us off by just giving everybody who's listening permission. Not only is it okay if you don't have all the answers, that's the way. And you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, I love that. And it it really acknowledges the moment that we're in. It's, it's interesting you brought in sort of like predicting the economy question, because I think a lot of people are trying to do that. And remember, I don't think they still do it. Years ago, the Wall Street Journal used to do this kind of funny thing that was their, their dartboard posting where they would ask, you know, like 10 top economists or, or market, you know, pundits where the market's going to be. And then they would also just throw up a page on the wall and throw darts at it. And to sort of like, and, and use the numbers from the darts to determine the darts were often more accurate than the experts, like the, the supposedly smartest people in the world. And even with the, the, the financial markets, the best of the best, the ones who actually somehow, which is a tiny, tiny fraction of a fraction, consistently make money over a long haul. It's not that they're actually more right than other people. They're wrong most of the time. The big difference is that they actually just know which ones to fold really fast and they have the capacity to run with the ones that have potential for longer. So they have 95 misses, but they get out of those pretty quickly. And, you know, the five that actually have possibility, they've, they've developed the systems and the fortitude to be able to stay with them longer, even when they're sort of like nervous and questioning. And, and I think it's an interesting analogy for the way that we make choices too in our work, in our lives, in our careers. In that example, they're also putting out a quantity of guesses. So it's like by sheer nature of just guessing a lot and often, inevitably, a handful of them are going to be right. And the parallel that I would say to navigating career and business changes is that you have to pilot several things concurrently in order to know what's going to take on a natural momentum of its own. And so I love this phrase. I'm pretty sure I said it on one of our previous conversations for Sparked that someone told me, which is that you have to start walking down the hallway to see the open doors. Change is a lot like that. You you got to start pivoting. You got to start piloting. And when I say pilot, I mean small experiments that you can do in 10, 20% of your time that are just going to give you data. Do you enjoy this area? Can you become an expert at it? And is there room to expand? Do you want to expand if there was an opportunity? So instead of worrying what the full-time container looks like, can you set up these concurrent pilots and by sheer quantity of pilots, not getting overwhelmed, we don't want the whole system to crash, but by putting out a few resonant pilots and then letting those inform you, it's just like those futurists, you have more opportunity to be right because you are experimenting and active rather than having it be this conceptual analytical exercise where so often we then just tip into compare and despair or analysis paralysis or doom scrolling on our phone or thinking that the world is like actually going to end tomorrow because the media likes to scare us and keep us kind of hooked through that fear and worry. Yeah. So so from a practical standpoint, if we start from a place of saying, okay, we really don't know, we can do a certain amount of work. You know, we could, you could take this market type assessment, take any one of the other major metrics that are out on the market, and it gives you intel. It gives you information. It gives you pieces of the puzzle. But most of those, right, including our own body of work, right, what that tells you, it gives you insight about yourself and your own preferences, 
right? But that's not going to tell you exactly what opportunities, exactly what jobs, exactly what businesses to start that would be, you know, like perfectly aligned with all the different parts of yourself that matter, that need to be fully expressed for you to feel okay, for you to feel alive, for you to feel fulfilled and nourished in work that you're doing. So yes, we can do the, the work to know ourselves better, but that is still not going to give us, you know, like the direct path to the business, the work, the job, the career that is going to, you know, like just check all the boxes. We still live in a place where we've got to run the pilots that you're describing. Like, you can't literally think your way into an answer, especially because on the one hand, what is often described as the opportunity you're stepping into isn't always the reality of your lived experience of it once you get there. And we are seeing a lot of reports of that over the last few years. You know, the the whole, there are so many acronyms out in the marketplace right now. It's kind of driving me bonkers, you know, like, but now that you're hearing about like boomerangers and it's like people going back to the thing that they left because they realized the thing they went to wasn't what was promised or explained to them. But the reality is this is just the human condition and we're constantly running these experiments. And we like to kind of delude ourselves into thinking that we can create perfect alignment through doing a lot of research Right. And then so that we can get to a point where we know a hundred percent what to say yes to. But what you're saying is we can get closer to understanding what to say yes to trying on, but there's, but we're not going to actually, you know, come close to an answer until we're actually in that experience and it generates real data rather than sort of like intellectual thought experiments. Yes. And that keeps you more agile as the conditions continue to change around you as well. Because the thing about building castles in the sky or in your mind is that by the time you then go to implement that plan, often things have shifted yet again. So I joke in Pivot that when I worked at Google, we were reorging more than we were orging. There's no org there. Anyone who was waiting for the reorg to calm down was going to be waiting a very long time because the next one was around the corner. And even then we had the term boomerang employees. I love, that's one of the things I value most about my time at Google is that really creative opportunities, like they welcomed boomerangers, people who left and come back because they already knew the culture. I mean, maybe not if they left on bad terms or anything, but cultivating an alumni network within a company. And similarly, if you're the team member and you've left, like staying in touch with your peers from that company, it's, it becomes a an alma mater of sorts. And even at Google, there's things called bungee roles, which I just love where you bungee into a position maybe to fill in for someone who's on parental leave, and then you bungee back out to your normal role. So we, you often hear people talk about 10 and 20% projects that's well known by now, but there's so many creative things, a rotation, shadowing someone, reverse mentoring. There are all these ways to put yourself in the path of pivot. That's a mantra that I'm always telling myself. And I'll give one example of that. I was running my business. I'd been running it for seven or eight years. And I had this itch to go to seminary school. And I I didn't know why, but I had coffee with someone and he mentioned it and that there was a really well-known school in New York, Union Theological Seminary. And he said, just check it out. And after we had coffee, I looked, applications were due in two weeks. And I just said, I'm going to apply. You know, the worst that happens, I don't get in. And if I do get in, then I'll think about this pilot, what the heck I'm doing. I was very interested to study the intersection of faith and work and how a deeper spiritual pur purpose drives many of us in terms of our vocation and what we do for work. And sure enough, I did get in. But one of the ways I put myself in the path of pivot was to attend a seminar. They had some in-person event open to the public. And I put myself in the room 
And I just thought if I go to campus, if I sit in, I think it was the chapel, I'll know. I'll get a sense in my body. Um, We talk about whole body, yes, head, heart, gut. I got to go. I got to be in the room. I can't decide. This isn't an intellectual, especially seminary school. It's not an intellectual exercise. I need to go sit in there and have a felt sense. Is this for me or not? I did go and I I stayed a semester and a half. So then pivoting again was giving myself permission not to finish because my business had started taking off. So even that was a hard decision was backing out of something kind of I'm not used to being a quote quitter and not seeing something through. And I was taught as a kid, you got to finish what you start. That was one of the mantras of my childhood. So that's just an example of staying flexible using different intellectual centers that we have even in our in our body to help guide the way but that the story is still being written and and i just see people that when when you try to do too much in advance it just leads to a feeling of stuckness and almost feeling really discouraged by the whole thing everything seems so daunting and then I think we start to shame and blame ourselves and take it personally. Why can't I figure this out? What's wrong with me? Am I ever going to be happy? I just don't know what to do. And then now I want to quit everything, burn it all down. And it's funny, like as um, the maker in me is like, that is a pretty regular, (laughs) you know, like thought experiment in my head also. I'm like, what if we just like, started fresh with like a whole bunch of new different stuff and threw it up against the wall. You know, but from a practical standpoint, you know, like plenty of folks listening to this are going to be like, like I have my one mainstream thing. I have a family, I have responsibilities. I have whatever my financial circumstance is, you know, and I'm working a full-time job, maybe even two jobs, or maybe the one job that I have is literally consuming, you know, like 80 hours a week. And how, like, how can I run these pilots, run these experiments in a way that is, that gives me enough information or insight to know whether this makes sense to make a bigger commitment or take a bigger risk or, you know, start to explore it more seriously, but also still allows me to be in my full-time thing, to feel reasonably secure to, and to not just completely burn myself out by saying, I'm going to take an 80 hour a week job. And then pile on another pilot that is going to require me to add another 20 to 30 hours a week to really, you know, like push into it and see if it gives me the data I need to know whether it's a yes or a no. From a practical standpoint, I mean, you've worked with so many different people and like from individuals to large organizations with similar questions. I would imagine something like some variation of this comes up fairly regularly. And you and I talked on a previous Sparked about how we just don't have that do-it-all energy that we had in our 20s. <laughs> when you're young, you can really kind of hustle like that and and have a full-time job. And, you know, when I didn't have a, a husband and a dog and a home and a, all these things, yeah, I was able to work at Google and have a side hustle. And I was still getting burnt out trying to juggle just those two things. So as soon as your personal life complexifies, I don't know if that's a word, <laughs> but grows in complexity, it's tough. And I, I don't even think I would would recommend that somebody try to have a full-time job 80 hours a week. I mean, that's already two jobs and then have a side hustle. But within that job, I just think that we miss a lot of projects that could be interesting and just communicating to the people that are helping plan your work and your priorities, what types of projects are most interesting. In Pivot, I talk about project-based purpose. Don't worry if you don't know your grand big life's purpose and like your ikigai and why you wake up every day. It's okay. What is a project-based purpose? And for parents, sometimes I do get this question from parents of young children 
they're raising three kids under seven years old, and they go, I'm tired all the time. And I'm like, I get it. That's your project right now. You know, our friend Charlie, he talks about how we each have the capacity for about five projects. And if you have a health concern, if you have a newborn at home, that's a project, if not more than one. And so within the scope of your job or of the main way that if you run your own business that you work with clients, I would just get really curious about what projects are interesting. And the things that I'm proudest of in my career whether the startup, Google, running my own business, it's not the title that you see on LinkedIn. It's usually a project. It is something that I created, started and finished and launched in the context of that company that had reach, that had impact. And that's how I'm wired. I mean, maybe that's the Maven essentialist thing where I think that those personality types that you mentioned or those assessments like Sparkotype assessment, where I think that's really helpful is it gives you specific language about what lights you up. And then you take that language to your manager and you say, if you encounter a project, if in your whisper network of the company, you hear of a project that involves X, Y, and Z, I would love to be considered for it. Or you see something broken that needs fixing. And it happens to be fixing it and tinkering in a way you love to solve problems. That's where you can also raise your hand and say, hey, I see this problem area. It's causing a lot of friction for people. And I have a solution. Now, if you take that too far up the chain, they're just going to tell you no. (laughs) So you got to start in a low key enough way that nobody really cares. And then you prove that it's worthy of a little of your time and attention. And then it snowballs. And I've seen people create entire dream full-time roles by taking that approach. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I shared this on a previous Sparked, but when I first got to Google, I asked if we could have a tiny bit of budget to buy our 20-person training team a business book every month. And could we all discuss this business book? I remember we chose Good to Great by Jim Collins. And they were like, what do we care? Sure you know? And we did. And we would invite the authors to come have lunch with us. And it was a super joyful thing. But it was small enough budget, small enough scope. Nobody really needed to say no to it. And many years later, when the talks at Google team was at risk of falling apart completely, they were like, Jenny, do you want to lead this and be the interim lead? We didn't have, they didn't have a full timer for it. I did that for eight months. I met people like Josh Kaufman, Pamela Slim, Michael Bungay-Stanier, because I was helping run this program that creative friendships still in place to this day, 12 years later. Yeah, I love that. And that was never a full-time role. That was never a full-time role. It was a part-time, you know, eight-month project. Yeah, so cool. And and that also, it really, it, it shows you that, you know, you can look at this sort of like uncertain landscape. Um, you cannot know what's next. You cannot know like what your next step is going to be. You cannot know where the market is going, where the internal culture in your company is going, but still, and also you don't necessarily have to just jettison yourself or burn burn yourself out by adding something else on the outside. You can look at what you're doing and saying, huh, can I step into it differently? Are there different things that I could sort of like shift my energy to that might let me run an experiment to see like, I think this is going to make me feel a certain way, but let's actually like do the thing to see if it really does. Cause it doesn't always. And I think that's always eye opening too. You know, there, I, I was remembering as you were saying that, um, you know, this is, you were talking about in the context of, somebody who's working in a company. I had an interesting conversation a couple of years back. I was like, Mel Robbins is a dear friend of mine. And she had her TV show and she invited me on to be sort of, sort of like the guest expert for an, a segment. And there were a couple of folks who had taken their sparkotypes. And one of them was, was an entrepreneur, ran her own marketing agency for like 25 years, really, really good and accomplished. And she was just really 
like bored and she wanted to shut it down and do something else entirely. And I said, what if he didn't shut it down? Her, um, it's all coming back to me. Her, her primary spark type was a maven. So that's all about the drive to learn. Like knowledge acquisition was her fundamental impulse, right? She's doing the same thing, working with the exact same category of clients for 25 years and with an agency that was not really growing, not really shrinking, just doing nicely. Like, um, so like the opportunities to just constantly learn something new had largely left the building years ago. And I was like, what if you just got just completely different types of clients or like started like into working on different types of projects? I mean, you control the the company. Um, you can make this happen. And sure enough, months later, I got an email saying like, yeah, I actually, that's what I did. And I'm alive. I love what I'm doing now. It's like we went completely, some completely new clients in new industry. Now that could have bombed, right? That could have, she could have tried it, right? It's uncertain. And, and she could have said no to other clients to make space for that. And it could have not worked, right? But the risk was fairly low. Um, and she got some really important data that let her not have to walk away from this really powerful container and, um, source of income and security, but feel a lot better, get a lot more than what she needs. And like you said, and like, yeah, I think it's important to bring back into the conversation. That doesn't mean that this is solved for life. Like we live in a perpetually changing circumstance. You know, uncertainty is not something that we move through to get to certainty. It's the should write a book being, about that, by the way. Somebody should, right? <laughs> It'd be cool if there was a um, book that really made us feel better about uncertainty. Something like that, yeah. Um, I wish. But, you know, I think it's like we, we view uncertainty as this thing that we have to get through rather than a perpetual state that we need to learn to live with and potentially even harness for a sense of possibility. Um, that's why I love what you've been sharing and like the ideas that you've been planting because it's all about acknowledging that as the fundamental truth and saying, um, yes, and how do we not just live with this, but how do we flourish with it? Well, your book on that exact subject was so influential for me at the time that came out because I had so much anxiety around uncertainty and risk and my relationship to change was, I used to joke that I felt like I was in a raft in the ocean and everyone else was in a cruise liner. And now I now I have some language. Oh, I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm introverted. I'm an empath. I didn't have those phrases at the time. I didn't know why. I was getting so rocked around by every wave and everyone else seemed to just be handling it. And your book was, I highly recommend for anyone listening. That's like going back to the JF classics. In the example you just shared too, I wanted to point out that, okay, maybe her pivoting the business experiment failed, but she, the business was at risk anyway, for two reasons. One, she was already entering burn it all down mode where she was like, you know, not happy, gonna maybe shut it down. And then two, most businesses, most careers, most things, if you don't change, change will choose you and often not for the better. And the market will shift around you. Clients, I think there is some kind of energetic thing in in all forms of career, like whether you're employed for someone else or for yourself, the energy is subtle. But I do think that it kind of either attracts, you know, it's like a magnet or it repels. The other thing that example reminded me of lately, I've been thinking about three types of people and <laughs> you have many types too, but builders, optimizers, and maintainers. Builders love to build things like, you know, you call them a maker, but I mean, take something from zero to one, even if it's a spreadsheet, like, uh, I want to solve something, create some order from chaos. 
a builder. And this happened to me at Google. Like I had so much fun building this global drop-in coaching program, career guru. When it came time to roll it out, to market it and actually get adoption, I was miserable. So then you have the maintainers, like someone who needs to either market, maintain, maintain something that exists. And I was miserable once the project reached that point. But nobody says, oh, Jenny, you're a good builder. Let's move you off as soon as it launches. It's like, no, Jenny, you built us. Now make sure that it succeeds. Make sure it gets traction. And then optimizers are ones who come in and say, this could be done much better, or we could use better tools here. We could streamline this. And sometimes we expect someone to optimize something. And that's just not how their mind works. They're better at maintaining it. Or we get kind of upset with builders who, why are you getting so antsy in your career? Why are you always impatient? Why do you always want the next thing? Because they like to build stuff. They don't want to sit around and maintain. And I think it is really challenging as a business owner. I, You know, we've talked about this where I experienced that where the next logical steps for the pivot side of my business were like sales, marketing, and growth, (laughs) things that I just, so what I do instead, I pivoted. I wrote a new book, (laughs) Bad Jenny, but that's what I did. Can't help it. Yeah. And and, and I love that sort of like identifying the different phases and saying, just because you made it doesn't mean that you have to be the one that then sort of like steps into the other modes. Like you may, you, we are wired for certain modes. And, and I think that it it's good to acknowledge that and run those experiments too. As you were sharing that, I was like, that I had this pop-up overlay of like the Hindu gods, you know, like the, the which is like this triumvirate, you know, it's, it's creation, it's um, sustenance and it's destruction. And I was wondering Whoa. like whether there's actually wow. a, a phase that is also destruction yes. that is necessary and important and valuable and and it's and it's creative destruction effectively it's literally it's dismantling what was but often in the name of creating the space for what now can be um and i i actually know folks who are inspired and excited by that, not to cause harm or not to cause pain, but because they see it as a necessary part of creating the space for the next greater evolution of something. And they happen to be just really inspired by it. How do we take this whole thing apart in a way that actually simultaneously sets up the next bigger creative cycle? I love that you highlighted that. And that's so interesting to think about the parallels and overlay there. The idea of destruction, I think this is a, the, a, the other side of pivoting and change and uncertainty that nobody talks about, or at least not nearly as much, which is that I've always hung on to this quote from John Maxwell. You have to say no to the good so you can say yes to the best. And it can be very difficult to say no to something good, to leave a relationship that's good or good enough, to leave a job, to close down a part of the business or the entire business. And I, I, you know, I think it's obvious when we need to change when something's really broken and actively causing misery and despair. But it is so much harder to make decisions when we really do have to almost destroy a past incarnation of our career in order to create that space, like you said, for what's new. And that, for I, I've mentioned this on a previous spark that we had, but the parable of the trapeze, I'll just leave it at that. I'll say, go Google that. It will fill in what it's like to have to let go of one trapeze bar or think of Tarzan has to like let go of one branch in order to grab the next. And it is just a really edgy place to be. But so often that's where the good stuff comes in because otherwise there's just no room for it. 
Yeah. And, and it's interesting also, because I think you could also look at that as what you're describing. Some people look at it as well. You've got to destroy the thing that you built in order to create space for. It. And it's actually that that's, that may in fact be the case. Like if you're, uh, you know, if you run your own team or division or company, um, and you realize that like there's a, not just a personal pivot that needs to happen, but there's like an organizational pivot that needs to happen where you have to literally wind down a big chunk of what you're doing in the name of reallocating resources and energy to this new thing that you see coming like in the future and you believe is going to be the future. But just on an individual career basis, what you're sharing here, which I think is interesting too, is that the potential overlay for that is just being okay with leaving behind like the thing that, you know, like you devoted yourself to sometimes for years, maybe for decades, knowing that you're not tearing anything down or like leaving flames in your wake. Like it's going to sustain and keep going. Someone will step in and do that thing. But for you, you're, you're essentially, you know, like winding down, um, the, your commitment to this thing, your devotion and energy that sustained it to this, to this moment in time and almost handing it to someone else. And that's, and I've done that not just in, in jobs, but in companies, like when I've exited a series of companies, I've literally like handed over the keys like one day. I mean, I, I, you know, like I started a yoga center in Hell's Kitchen, New York City in the eve of 9-11 and built, we, we with a team, not just me, with this beautiful team, built this just gorgeous community. And seven years later, as a maker, it was time for me to move on. You know, the, the community needed somebody who was much more invested in it. The company was thankfully due. So, you know, I was able to exit the company and literally like, like I remember walking out the door the last time people were like, you must be devastated. You must be crushed. You know, like you must be. And yes, it was, there was a sadness of leaving something. There was a bittersweetness, but the sense of possibility, the sense of joyfulness, the sense of like, I get to like to do something or some things new. Now I've just created that space was so much greater for me that, you know, whatever creative destruction I left in my leaving. And again, it wasn't destruction to the business. It continues literally to this day, 14 years later, um, probably bigger and better without me. Right. But it was, I had to be willing to sort of like go through that cycle in order to set up like the next uh, you know, like cycle of growth for me. Um, and it's, and it can be hard. But also I think when you know it, you know it. And often we wait until way, way, way longer than we kind of know in our, uh, what did you say earlier? Head, heart, and gut. Um, oh, what yeah. the right step yeah. is. Yeah, there's a great book called Embraining about we have these three intelligence centers. I was going to mention you leaving the yoga studio, so you read my mind. And this metaphor, this image of like embers to even carry on the sparked theme, but almost like when you leave, you have these embers of what's new, what's possible there. And, and you finally, I know exactly what you mean, that sense of aliveness. And bundled with utter and profound uncertainty and fear. <laughs> but, but it's all, it's all like it, it's all one, it's all part of the, part of the experience. And it's not necessarily bad. Did thing. you have any moments? Was there any moment where you doubted if you were doing no. the right thing? No, I knew. I yeah. knew I I didn't know what was coming next, and I was like, there was concern about you know, like um, I have a family to take care of. I'm in New York City, but I had been through the cycle of creation, sustaining, and then creative destruction, or moving on, or exiting companies before enough times, and been through really hard, hard experiences many times that I had confidence that I would be able to figure it out. Um, I had the skills, I had the relationships, and the resources. 
to figure it out. And then I started running those pilots you talked about to see what the next thing was going to look like. So anyway, it's, I think it's such a, a rich moment for these ideas, for this conversation, the notion that we are all in a space of perpetual uncertainty, the acceptance of the fact that, you know, like, not only is there no going back to the way that things were two years ago, there has never been a going back to the way things were in any cycle of life and work and business. It's just, it's the nature of things. And let's all look forward you know, and equip ourselves with the skills, with the knowledge, with the skills of mind, and also just the practical skills to be able to just constantly hold ourselves in a space of possibility and curiosity around what might come next, knowing that um, we're always going to be running these pilots and always shifting and changing. And and that's okay. In fact, it's actually gorgeous and beautiful. Any, any mm-hmm. final thoughts or words? Well, just that is so beautifully said. And take solace knowing nobody else has it figured out right now Mm. either. I think in the past, maybe pre-pandemic, you could get the sense that some people were really sure of themselves and what they were doing and their career and their industry and all that. And now I feel like so many, you're in the majority if you're wondering what's next and sitting in uncertainty and not sure. Nobody knows we're all in this together. And that there is a sense of, for the first time, you're not alone if you're You can't read the tea leaves and you can't read the future and you don't know exactly where you personally are even going to be six months from now, let alone a year. And so I think take comfort in that and try to release any thoughts that are where you're taking it personally, where you're saying there's something wrong with you because you don't have it all figured out. Mm, Love it. Thank you. Thank you. And to our fabulous listening community, thanks everyone for tuning in. We will see you again next week. Thanks so much, everybody. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life. Take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.